Hello, Trash Future listeners. Please enjoy this preview of our Suez Crisis episode of Britonology. Also, check the show notes on this preview. We've unlocked Midwestology 2 to the $5 tier, and we've unlocked Midwestology 1 to the free feed. Hope you enjoy, and thanks again for being listeners. So, supposedly, the Brits and the French managed this with 26 casualties, and there were about 1,000 Egyptian civilian casualties. Uh, however, this is where we get into some of the uh, French, French conduct. During the fighting in the Canal Zone, the French paratroopers often practiced their no-prisoners code and executed Egyptian prisoners of war. I've written normal. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. totally normal. Meanwhile... I like the idea of being like, it is just protocol, uh, <laughs> we do not take prisoners, you understand how it is, huh? I, do not, I would have to talk to my line manager. The way that it's phrased is so like, ah, oh, it's in their culture, which is, which is very strange. Um, but that's what happens when you use colonial troops, as they do colonial violence. Um, but also... Like they, the amphibious landings, they've settled on Port Said, which, as as we've mentioned, is like small, medium-sized city. Um, and the Egyptians sort of do some fairly competent urban warfare here. Um, mm. I, I mean, it it's a city; it favors the defender, whatever. But like, and it's very uneven. But they do fall back in like pretty good order, and they like extract some casualties from this. Uh, the way that NASA uses this is to immediately have songs, postage stamps, and books commissioned calling it the new Stalingrad, uh, <laughs> in, in, order, in order to encourage the defenders, uh, vans with loudspeakers drive through the streets announcing that the Soviets have nuked, Mos- have nuked Paris and London and that World War Three has started. <laughs> I just love the idea. I mean, it, it, I can't remember if it was Um Kulthum who did these songs, yes. but I just... Yeah. yeah, I just imagine that's the equivalent. It's like the equivalent of the, the United Kingdom gets invaded, and so like on on day two, there's a hit on BBC of Dua Lipa being like, "You're fucking getting owned." Like it's just unbelievable. By the Albanians, shit. so I'm in favor of it. There's there there are these weird weird moments where uh, like five British officers get killed by one Egyptian guy who is just hiding in a cupboard with a submachine gun who just like jumps out like surprise. Um, th- th- they <laughs> our one vulnerability wardrobes. <laughs> it's. It's so fucking weird. Also, one of the defenders of of Port Said is a young Palestinian uh, fighter by the name of Yasser Arafat. And when when the fighting breaks out, his his platoon of Palestinians, all but three of them, desert outright. And then, <laughs> because their job is to destroy useful infrastructure, Yasser and his two friends blow up an ammunition dump on the wrong side of the city that the British never come near, and that's their entire war. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually just to destroy some of their own supplies. Great yeah. work. <laughs> um. Yeah, so NASA's doctrine during this is that he he declares it to be a people's war, and he not only arms a bunch of civilians, but also gets all of the army to dress in civilian clothes, um, reasoning that this is going to create an issue for the British who are going to not want to kill civilians. Um, and he presumes for the French, although I'm I'm beginning to get the vibe from the French parachute regiment that this wasn't really an issue. <laughs> no, the, fr- the the French are like fully dripping blood at this point. They're thriving, but Eden is kind of very much like the, the aero psychological warfare has been turned around on him, and now he's having a little psychological moment of his own because he kind of tries to micromanage this a little bit. Uh, it it also doesn't help that Hugh Stockwell is also insane. And so you just have this like 
force pushing downwards from uh, from Whitehall. That's just like, well, do this. No, do this. Do this. Do this. Do this. Uh, and it, it just kind of like uh, really kind of throws the the Marines for a loop a little bit. They still do well, but it's yeah. I don't know. This surreal atmosphere that kind of prevails. Yeah, there's a weird like push pull thing going on. Um, mm. and, and meanwhile, speaking of speaking of the Royal Marines, um, British commanders of Number Forty Five Commando assaulted by helicopter, meeting stiff resistance with shore batteries striking several helicopters, while friendly fire from British carrier-borne aircraft also mistakenly hit Forty Five Commando and HQ. One Marine was killed and 15 wounded when a carrier-based wyvern mistakenly fired into a concentration of Marines. This being a classic one of like the Brits being more of a danger to themselves than the enemy actually is. Um, the, but this is the best bit. The helicopter-borne assault of 45 Commando was the first time helicopters were used by UK forces. Lieutenant Colonel N.H. Taylor, who was leading 45 Commando, was landed by mistake in a stadium still under Egyptian control, resulting in a very hasty retreat. <laughs> I say... Just in time to like throw out the first pitch and then leave. That's a funny uniform you chaps have on. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you from, the Fusiliers? <laughs> he's like, uh, sort of like beasting them about the creases in their uniform. So he gets like three troops in before he realizes they're Egyptians. Yeah, to be fair, the kind of absolute sicko you have to be to be a fucking Marines colonel is just like very, like, I can imagine him just kind of accidentally putting himself in charge of the Egyptian forces because he's yelling at them all so much that they're just like, okay. Well, bear in mind that this whole thing started in part because NASA had orchestrated the dismissal of the uh, the British head of the Arab Legion, uh, a, a guy called General Sir John Glubb, um, but who was who, <laughs> <laughs> but name alert, who, yeah, exactly. who had kind of gone native a little bit, and who was known to uh, known to his subordinates as Glubb Pasha. <laughs> This okay, always okay. seems to happen. There always seems to be a British guy who really, really just gets in character. Like, <laughs> yeah. like you say what you will about about Americans, but when you read a story about a guy who's like, oh yeah, a British guy who uh, who who basically faked being Afghan so he could go on Hodge, like that makes sense. It's a British guy. Like, yeah. you know, some guy from the 19th century who just, you know, basically decided he was going to go native and he was going to like learn every language and just, you know, li live out the lifestyle of the subject of the empire. Like he. That is a thing. Like, there's a switch you can flip in a British guy's brain. He'll just do that. Yeah, same with like British Indian Army officers too. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, a lot of British top brass from back in the day have this very kind of like Tobias Funke energy, um, <laughs> where they're constantly they're constantly getting in the zone for a role. Um, Incidentally, so I'm I'm learning just now from checking his biography to make sure that I got his name right. That Glubb's father was called Major General Sir Frederick Manley Glubb. <laughs> Incredible! That's such a good name. No, no relation of Manly Power, another British commander. Yes, yes, Admiral Sir Manly Power. That I mean, yeah. just a lot of guys going around. America's America's Manly Power is Boily Power. <laughs> I should also point out that the Americans during this whole process have been very much alive to what's going on, thanks to John Foster Dulles's weird brother Alan, uh, mm. who's director of the CIA, um, and who sent a guy early on to to meet NASA under the pretext of assassinating him. Uh, this guy was called Miles Copeland Jr. He was a CIA officer. No, no, that's Stuart Copeland's dad. Yes, that's the fucking the the drummer from the police. Yes, 
Yes, the drummer from the police's dad was a CIA officer who was sent to Egypt, and the idea was that he was supposed to assassinate NASA, report back that it was impossible so the British wouldn't try. And so he goes to Egypt, the first thing he does is he finds NASA, introduces himself, and is like, yeah, I'm supposed to assassinate you, or pretend to. And the two have this very long, surreal conversation about how they would contrive his assassination. He suggests, like, poisoning his tea, and NASA's like, well, I'd notice, and if I didn't notice, my guy over here would notice. And so he comes back my with- My tea what, guy. Yeah. What, what if I, what if I, like, uh, you know, got another guy to bring in a poison cup of tea, and NASA's like, well, that would only poison the guy who taste tested my tea. So it's like, just so fucking weird. But so NASA has, has like, a line, a back channel to the Americans through this. Uh, and the Americans are, shall we say, not best pleased at how this is all going. Mm. The uh, the Marines, the Paras, the Royal Tank Regiment, and the Fre- and the French uh, Paras are embroiled in this kind of painstaking effort to clear Port Said of snipers, uh, which goes on more or less until the UN basically orders a ceasefire. Uh, and in the midst of all of this, uh, the Egyptians, despite despite being kind of like roundly trounced militarily, uh, have have done the most Joker mode thing, which is sinking every ship currently in the Suez Canal, causing it to be completely blocked and useless. <laughs> Incidentally, uh, you mentioned cupboards being the natural enemy of the Englishman. They managed to kidnap a British army officer and accidentally suffocate him to death by leaving him in a cupboard. So, really, just six six officers die to cupboards in the course of this operation. <laughs> <laughs> like the belligerents listed on the Egyptian side are also cupboards. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, look if you put a if you put a British army officer in in a darkened cupboard, the likelihood of him suffering some kind of a sixty wank accident is is high. <laughs> <laughs> but how does he get this orange in there? Yeah, that is very true. <laughs> he had to use a date, you know, sometimes needs must. <laughs> um, yeah, and so it, essentially, it, towards the end of this, the, the UN Security Council has kind of worked out that the Brits, the French, and the Israelis are working together. The magician act of you and I have never met before, is that correct? Not not really uh, cutting any ice. Um, and the US and the Soviet Union are, in a, in a weird turn of events, united in condemning this. Yeah, the Soviets threatened to nuke... <laughs> London and Paris, uh, Khrushchev does, and he's convinced for the rest of his life that this has worked, and this is the thing that has deterred neocolonialism. <laughs> like, this yeah. is genuinely like a, a sort of approximate cause of the Cuban Missile Crisis, is he thinks, well, okay, brinksmanship works, and we should do more of it. And incidentally, uh, at the time that he, he has these letters sent, um, the Soviet nuclear arsenal amounts to four IRBMs in a swamp. 